So good to be with you this morning. My name is Jane, and I'm one of the pastors, and such a gift to be in worship together this morning. I want to begin uh, the sermon with a picture uh, from 1987. This is, um, that's me in the middle with my Mary Lou Retton haircut, just a shout out to the Olympics, um, and my brother and sister. And we were saying goodbye to our family station wagon as we were also getting ready to move across the country. We had two of those station wagons because my dad was always in for a good deal, so we had matching station wagons, and this was the last one, and we were saying goodbye. And what's so interesting to me is uh, we were the exact same age as my kids are now, 10, 9, and 6. And we were leaving over 25 extended family members on, uh, in New England to move with IBM to the San Francisco Bay Area where we knew no one. And at age 10, I was uh, old enough to be excited and nervous and sad about leaving people, but young enough that I didn't really understand a lot of what was going on and how significant uh, this move would be for our family. So now as an adult, I've gone back many, many times in my mind and marveled at the things that were taking place and that changed for us, things that my parents could never have anticipated, but our family life changed significantly. I know many of you have had transitions like this in your life, uh, some of them even with IBM. Others of you will have transitions like this. And we'll come back to the significance of what that meant for me in a little bit, but just I was stirred up this week remembering what it was like to be a newcomer, to be a stranger. In case you missed last week, we have just begun a new sermon series called Red Carpets, learning about what godly hospitality looks like in Scripture, what it means to have the red carpet of welcome rolled out to us in Jesus Christ, and what it means to be people who would share that welcome with others. So we are really mining Scripture and just seeing all that we can find about hospitality. What, what does God have to say about hospitality and what he intends for us? And I'll just say, as Eric did last week, we are learning as we go. And I don't know if this has been the case for you as we've been talking about hospitality and eat together this year, but already I see that what I have always thought about hospitality, God's idea is so much bigger which is exciting, but it's also a little risky because when we find out something new about how God intends for us to live together, that means that we need to step into that and live that together. So last week, just a little review, we saw this great foundation in Luke 14 about what biblical hospitality looks like. And this is the definition that we saw. Hospitality is welcoming those who can't repay you. Welcoming those who are both physically poor, but also who might have a different kind of poverty, a poverty of spirit, of relationships, uh, emotionally poor, that we are called, if you are a Christian, Jesus has told us to welcome the poor into our lives, into our homes, as an expression, again, of the way we have been welcomed. At one time, we all, before we were in Christ, were at least poor in spirit, perhaps poor in other ways as well. And a couple summers ago, I don't know if you were here, we preached through 1 Peter. And I have remembered this sermon that Dave, our college director, preached on this passage that says this, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And he said something that has stuck with me. He said, if what you think of as hospitality doesn't make you want to grumble, it probably isn't hospitality. (laughs) And I love that. It's brilliant because there is something inherently and deeply sacrificial about hospitality. So much so that it probably will make you want to grumble, at least under your breath, if you're doing it the way that God intends. 
And Dave said hospitality rightly understood means that we are creating discomfort for ourselves in order to create comfort for somebody else. It sounds very much like the way of Jesus sacrificially laying down his life for others. And I'll just say from the beginning here this morning, I feel this tension that some of you have mentioned to me. I think that many of us feel like we're barely able to tend to our family and our work and on a good week, our friends, or our season of life or our living space just doesn't feel adequate to be a person who would do and live out sacrificial hospitality. We're so aware of our limitations and that we are not infinitely resourceful beings. But that is precisely one of the reasons that we are talking about hospitality as a whole church. Your personal hospitality cannot meet every need. It can't even meet most needs, nor can my personal hospitality. It can, however, meet some need. And when we all together practice hospitality in this way, as we will see in this uh, passage, when we do that as God intends, significant work for the gospel is done when we all do a little bit. Yesterday, when I was working on the sermon, I went to one of my favorite coffee shops in Lafayette called Moxie. And when I got there, I could sit anywhere, but this place just fills up really quickly. So I had kind of spread out at this table with four chairs so I could have my books next to me, but soon it just started to fill up. So I moved over into the corner and I had my headphones in, kind of my head down. Uh, and pretty soon, um, a couple asked if they could come share the table with me. So I took out one earbud uh, to greet them. It felt like my own little hospitality moment to welcome strangers to my table. Um, and before long, I'm not kidding you, an entire hour had passed of spiritual conversation. I eventually took out my other headphone, and uh, we talked all about all sorts of things, rainbow spirits, which I had never heard about, and Jesus. We talked about his eye condition. We talked about his frustration with the Old Testament, and it was a really rich conversation for all three of us, and I recognized the significance of it, and I actually really loved my time with them. But as I realized what time it was, I realized I don't have enough time. I am a slow sermon writer. And I told my family I would be home at a certain time. And my refrigerator is so empty that if I don't go shopping on the way home, there is gonna be like chaos in my house. And I was so aware of my limitations in that moment. And so there, though there was so much more that I wanted to say, I told Peter and Michelle that I hope that we meet again and as I got up from the table, I said, I hope that you will continue to consider Jesus. And I hope that you know that you're always welcome at First Press. They might even be here sometime this morning. They live in Boulder. And she had actually been here in a meeting with a group from the community. And I was trusting that if they came this morning, that one of you at least would extend hospitality to them in the places where my limitations left off. That you would pick up in that place. And that really is the beauty of an entire church practicing hospitality the way that God intends, that we can pick up where another person's limitations leave off. Every bit seems small, but the ministry together of the whole is important work for the gospel. So today's passage is going to further define biblical hospitality, adding to this foundation that Eric gave us last week in Luke 14 that Dave preached about uh, in 1 Peter. And it's yet another layer of this sacrificial welcome of those who can't repay us. 
So if you have your Bible, turn to 3 John. Not sure the last time you turned to 3 John. I could not remember the last time I read it or opened it. And we've been joking that for the last year and a half, it took us a year and a half to get through the Gospel of John, and today uh, we're going to get through 3 John in one sitting. It's just a little letter. So let's pray, and we will open it up together. Oh God, we pray that you would teach us this morning from your Holy Word, by your Holy Spirit. We pray this for your glory and honor in our lives and in our homes, in your church, in our community. And God, I do just pray for Peter this morning as he asked that you would heal his eye. Lord, we would love for you to receive glory and testimony about his healing. We know that you can, so I ask it by faith in Jesus' name. Be glorified, Lord, in your word this morning. Amen. That would be so amazing if his eye was healed. He asked for that. Love it. Keep praying for him. So a little background on 3 John as you turn there. This is one of the only New Testament letters that was written to an individual. And this guy's name was Gaius. And that name was as common as Bill or Kathy or Tom is today. We don't know much about this man at all. Scholars agree that he probably didn't have any official leadership role or position. Otherwise, it would have been mentioned or appealed to in some way. So as far as we can tell, he's an ordinary guy who is faithful and part of a Christian community. And it seems that in some way he was led to Christ by John. John who uh, wrote the Gospel of John, one of the 12 disciples. And so John is writing this personal letter to him about hospitality, writing to Gaius. So let's jump in here, third John. So it begins the elder, that's John identifying himself. The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Well, I just love that we get to read this personal letter. So much warmth and also reality. It gives us a picture into the early church, both the goodness there and the tensions that they experienced. So as we always try to do when we come to scripture, we want to try to understand the original context, what was going on in this culture and in this time, and see how that speaks into our culture today. 
So just a little bit on this background. John is clearly affirming Gaius. He's celebrating the way that he's put his faith into action, offering loving hospitality to these fellow Christians who had come to his town. And John calls it working together for the truth. He's saying this work of hospitality, you opening your home to these fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, you are on the front lines of ministry. You are participating in the work of truth. And then the second reason that John is sending this letter, it says in this letter, John's also giving Gaius this heads up about this man, Diotrephes, who's also part of the community, who loves to be first. And I think that's such a convicting critique for all of us. There's some part of all of us that wants to be first. And Diotrephes, because of that, has not offered hospitality and has stirred up this division in the church. And John says he'll deal with that when he gets there in person. And then, thirdly, John writes to commend Demetrius, who is another traveler who might sometime soon be coming and knocking on Gaius's door, also needing his hospitality. So he's writing to commend him and give him a heads up that he might be coming. So I've been thinking about this. This letter was written when the church was only about 50 years old. I've been thinking, John is getting to the end of his life, the end of his ministry. But he had spent three years at Jesus' side doing ministry with him. He had seen him heal people. He had been there when Jesus was preaching the gospel to the masses. He had seen Jesus crucified on the cross. He had been there when the tomb was found empty. And with his very ears, he heard Jesus say before he ascended into heaven, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I have commanded you. So you think of John who had been there. He had seen it all and his sense of responsibility to let people know about Jesus, this friend, this dear friend of his who also was the savior of the world. Imagine the, f- the weight that he must have felt of that. But this is what's been so amazing to me, that the way that the good news of Jesus Christ was shared then is the exact same way that it is shared now. People who found their life in Christ told others about that life. And it happened in tables, around tables and in homes, in public places, people meeting face to face. They were just people like you and me who had met Jesus, who had heard about this good news and then were so compelled that they desired to share that hope with others. But they had work and friends and family They had limitations and needs for shelter and provision and food. They got tired. And in the first century, if you were one of these people who was kind of left your town to go to another town and carry this news, I mean, this is just spreading like town to town that people are hearing this news. If you were one of those travelers, you were totally dependent on the hospitality of the people already in that town to welcome you. There was just as much, if not more, stranger danger at that time as there is now. The assumption was you are a threat to our community and less proven otherwise. These are all things that I have learned uh, just in the last couple weeks. So in order to ease those tension and to help make connections, there wasn't a Motel 6. There wasn't a place. You were dependent on the homes being opened to you, to this hospitality. So John, in this case, sent a letter, and this was common. It was a letter of recommendation to say, you can, with confidence, welcome these people 
into your home. And in so doing, you are participating in this important work of sharing the gospel. It helped Gaius, actually, to be able to commend these people to the church and to the community. And so one more piece of historical context. When you read 2 John, if you have it open in your Bible, you'll see 2 John and 3 John. They're two personal letters. And you can see there were two groups of people who were traveling around and sharing uh, with the house churches in Gaius' area. But one of those groups was spreading false teaching. They were saying things like, Jesus was not actually fully human and fully God. And in order to actually be in relationship with God. You had to go through all this religiosity. You had to go do all these things. And you can just, I mean, I can imagine for John, who had been with Jesus, how grieving, how frustrating it must have been to know that there were people spreading false teachings about Jesus, especially when the church was so young and felt so vulnerable. The false teaching, the confusion of the culture that threatened the gospel. And honestly, I relate to that even today. Even as I was sitting at that coffee shop, the the ideas that are around that actually are not true about who Jesus is, there is a frustration sometimes about all of that. But it's into all of that that John says to Gaius, know that this offering of hospitality that you are giving to these brothers and sisters is gospel work. You are doing work for the truth of Jesus Christ when you open your home to these fellow believers. And here is a uh, verse that I think is so significant. He says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. And I think it's this layer that we also need to kind of bring into our understanding of hospitality. So this word for hospitality in Scripture, the Greek word, uh, philozenia, is a combination of two words. Phileo, which is brotherly love, and xenos, which is stranger. And so the word in the New Testament for hospitality really is the love of strangers. One writer said that hospitality is a process by which a stranger becomes a guest. So not only does God call us to sacrificial, as we saw last week, open our homes to those who can't repay us, who are poor in one way or another, in spirit, physically, emotionally. But now what we also see is that hospitality also means showing love and care to those who are strangers to us. It doesn't feel like it's getting easier. I don't know about you, but this just feels like an expansion of the sacrificial nature of hospitality. I just learned about one way that a family in our church, uh, I just learned this this week, is practicing this. And again, a way that is, uh, feels to them small but feels to me really significant when you think about it uh, in a whole. So this couple from our church, they own a local business, and every year they choose a theme or a goal for their staff to kind of um, change the culture of their company, help mature the culture of their company. And what they said is their staff is made up of a lot of really close friends who spend a lot of time together at work and outside of work. It's a really tight-knit group. And so in order to welcome others into that culture of friendship, this year's goal for everyone in their company every single day is to meet one person by name who spends time in their space, to identify someone who is a stranger to them and to learn their name. I love that. They said learning about hospitality at church and even this eat together stuff has spurred on this hospitality in their own company, this place where they have influence. So they have started to practice every day 
meet one stranger and learn their name. And as I've been sitting with this stranger aspect of hospitality, I have been struck this week that every single person I know, with the exception of probably my family of origin, I guess, was once a stranger to me. My closest friends, my spouse, the people who I've authorized on my will to raise my children if something happens to me, not very long ago, they were strangers and now have become beloved friends. So hospitality often begins with strangers, but some of those strangers turn out to be some of the most significant fellow journeyers in life. I think this passage also implies that hospitality happens in our homes, which is something we've been talking about. And I know for many of us, this gets at this place of limitation. Because home, I think so often for us, feels like that place of comfort and rest. The place where I just always have sweatpants on and just want it to stay that way, always. And I think that's one of the reasons that hospitality feels, in our homes, feels so uh, risky, but also so significant. Because when we invite people out of the public sphere into our private sphere, over that threshold from something that happens kind of en masse to in that more personal way, we invite them into our lives in a way that feels really up close, but also because of that feels really vulnerable. And one thing I just want to say here, this passage really is talking about welcoming um, fellow believers as they're doing the work of ministry. It made me think of those of you who host our interns people who are coming to be on the front lines, really active in ministry, and you've said, we have place for you. And we know you can't pay rent or buy food. We want to provide that for you. You, as the person providing, being that host, you are on the front lines of gospel ministry with them. That's what John is saying here. Those of you who welcome a visiting missionary back uh, on furlough, welcome them into your home. They can't probably afford to pay you, but you say, come and rest here. I am so for what you're doing. I want to be part of giving you hospitality because you are extending that to other people. So John isn't saying here that we need to be ready at any moment, any stranger who crosses our path to give them a free room in our home. That's not what he's saying here. But when we hold this intention with, as we heard last week, when you have a party, when you have a banquet, as Eric said last week, expand your guest list. Include people on there who you might not think to include before. People who can't repay you. People who might not have very much to offer. Welcome them to your table. And here, use your home to be a blessing to those who are on the front lines of ministry. Our homes become partners in the gospel. This past uh, Thanksgiving week in November, Scott just kind of in passing suggested that we invite over a friend of mine from, from church. And I had deep affection for this friend, but we always spent time together here at church. We had not um, shared home life together, and in part because my home just feels so unruly compared to what I imagine her life to be like, but also because I think we've kind of gotten accustomed to kind of protecting home and meeting people at a coffee shop or out on a walk and... Um, not as much saying like, yes, cross over this threshold into the private. So I brushed off his suggestion for a couple weeks, but he definitely had lodged it in my mind. And I was already close to this woman, but um, then I did invite her to come have dinner with us, and that's happened now multiple times. 
And what I noticed is that even though we were already close, there was a deepening that happened in our friendship when she came into our home. And what I now see is that this friend was a stranger in many ways to a Christian home. She came to faith later in life, and she had never had a normal midweek dinner in a Christian home. She had never been at a Christmas dinner. All the things of just average, normal Christian home life were absolutely strange to her. So now that she's been in our home, my children have gotten to know her, and they love her, so does Scott. And often they ask, when's she coming to dinner again? When's she coming to dinner again? But after she came a couple times, she wrote this little note, and I just wanted to share it with you because it was so eye-opening to me. She said, thanks for having me over. It was good to be with you all. What strikes me so profoundly when I'm in your home is the caring connection, playfulness, and forgiveness. It seems that no one is captive to fear. God's love is all throughout. It's quite an education to see how a family that's centered in Christ rolls along. You're all so lively and lovely, and I appreciate being invited to come close enough to get a sense of it. I could read a thousand books and never learn so much with love in Christ. And this sweet note makes me realize that I wish I hadn't waited so long to invite this person for whom Christian life is kind of strange to come and just be part of our everyday life. And I just want to make this disclaimer. I know most of you know this by now, but my home is not any different from yours, and my children are not angelic beings, as sometimes I think we think <laughs> pastor's kids are. I know for a fact that at least one kid farted at the table that night because that happens every single night in my house. And my kids, you know, say crazy things and are crazy. I love that she uses the word lively because I know what that means. But, you know, Scott and I are weary working parents. I, every time this woman has come over, like probably a handful of times, I have reheated prepared food from Costco in my sweatpants. But I now know that hospitality is so much more than food and finery. It's gathering around the table together, and especially with people who were strangers in some way. So when we arrived in California in 1987, um, unbeknownst to me, my parents had made a decision to find a church. We had been spotty churchgoers at best, um, but things were stirring for them in their late 30s and early 40s spiritually, and somebody from out of the state, out of California, had recommended this church, not a very big church, Moraga Valley Presbyterian Church. And we went to um, church at that place the first Sunday we moved to town, which again was not characteristic for us. We were total strangers in every way. We knew nobody. That was 31 years ago this April. Somebody welcomed us. I don't remember who it was, but somebody welcomed us, and that day we went from being strangers to being guests in that place. And here's something that's so amazing to me, and it's going to make me cry. This weekend, my parents have now moved out of state. They live in Arizona. And this weekend, they are away with four couples who flew down to Arizona to be with them, as they do every year. And for over a decade, they go on a couples retreat together. These people who were once strangers to us, who welcomed us in, who raised my parents in faith as their peers, and who raised me in faith, they are on a retreat together, sharing life, eating good food, catching up about kids and grandkids, praying for one another. 
And at one time, we were strangers, and they welcomed us in. Those people are to this day closer than my blood relatives. I grew up in their homes. I ate at their tables. I babysat their kids. I carpooled in their cars. I celebrated holidays in their homes. I belonged to them, and they belonged to me. But at one time, I had been a stranger who walked up the steps into their atrium area. But we were welcomed, and we stayed. And 31 years later, the fellowship, the friendship, the depth of relationship continues. And that is such a picture of what God has done for us and what we hope is true for our church family as well. Many of us are still strangers to one another. We want to build those relationships that we might participate in this work of truth, that as God has been hospitable to us, that we would be able to share that welcome with others. What an amazing thing that God has left this work for us to do on earth. What an amazing gift. So let's pray together. We're going to continue to sing for all that God wants to do in us. God, you are so good. You are so good. We love, Lord, that you intend for us to, um, to know your welcome, that though we once were strangers to you, you have called us your friends. You have called us your children. And God, you intend for us to be able to share that kind of love and welcome with others. So Lord, we pray that you would have your way, that you would, as a church, as, as a gathering of your people, 